0: thank you brother Stanley so good to see all of you all here this morning what a wonderful morning of worship and praise we've had already I would invite you to take your copy of the Lord's Word and turn to Matthew chapter number 2 Matthew chapter number 2 as we're going to be in verses 1 and 2 again as I warned you we started Christmas last week before Thanksgiving Uh, had several people after church say that this and this just should not be done. But I, I understand I, I, we want to celebrate each holiday for what it's worth. And I absolutely love Thanksgiving and I'm looking forward to this Thursday. But it's going to take some time for us to look at the full story of the wise men. Last time we were together, we talked about the Magi, uh, who they are Are or who they were, where they came from, and what is in the Old Testament. We talked about how wise men have been coming from the East all the way back to early parts of the Old Testament. And we talked about also Daniel being the leader of the Magi, and then here the Magi show up on the scene. But we're going to look at some more practical application this week of the story of The wise men, if you would read with me, we're going to read the first two verses. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So today I want to talk to you about rising stars, most specifically the rising star that the wise men of the East saw rise in the sky. Our main statement is this, God gives signs, but we must rest on his given promises. God gives signs, but we must rest on his given promises. Dr. Thompson, when you were sharing earlier, I was thinking about a sign, a very clear sign that God gave me to go to Mississippi College when I was praying through that time. I will forget, I was sitting in a guy by the name of Michael Pritchard's office. He was an admissions counselor there at MC, and I was sitting next to my dad. I had narrowed it down to two schools, Union University in Jackson, Tennessee, and Mississippi College, and I really had my heart set on Union, but the girl I was desperately in love with told me she was going to MC, so I knew I needed to at least pray about it. Um, so, my uh, dad and I went down to Mississippi College, and we were in Michael's office. Michael's father happened to me, my Sunday school teacher, in Memphis at the time. And anyway, I uh, had competed in this thing at, called Speakers Tournament in Tennessee, which um, Allowed me to get certain scholarships in Tennessee, and my parents were curious if it would transfer or if Mississippi College would honor these scholarships. And uh, anyway, Michael said, Hold on, let me go and ask. And he stepped out and went and talked to a Dr. Jim Turcott. Uh, of course, many of you know Dr. Turcott, and he came back after a few minutes. And Michael said, Okay, if you will come here, we will pay for your tuition, your room, and your board. My dad grabbed my leg under the table as hard as he has ever squeezed my leg as if to say, boy, <laughs> do not mess this up. <laughs> and I never will forget that. And for that, I am grateful. So it is just beyond me to just to think that God is going to continue to use Mississippi College to allow people like me, people all over the state to come and go to school there but that was a sign for me perhaps it was a sign for you today that hey at least I need to pray about going to Mississippi College or sending my children there because of this new scholarship we we all know what signs are let me ask you a question by a show of hands how many of you all believe that either large or small you have seen a sign from God before God's done something to get your attention just show of hands That's pretty much everybody in the room. Now, we know that signs can be something very dramatic, such as a star rising in the east, according to the text, but also signs can be very subtle as well. What you may know about my life is that my family is heavily rooted in East Tennessee. We all live on one particular road, both sides of my family, in the mountains of Tennessee. It's called West Miller's Cove Road, so it's called West Miller's Cove. And you perhaps have heard of a sister cove that was declared National Park. It's called Cade's Cove. So my family, where it is, is that we live in the developed cove. My family lives there in Miller's Cove. And the undeveloped cove is Cade's Cove, is a part of the National Park. And you can actually walk from cove to cove. That's just, um, just where we are in the world. Well, on June the 14th no june the 15th of 1934 the great smoky mountains became a national park and because it became a national park everyone living in the cades cove area once everyone currently living there passed on that land would no longer be able to be lived on and people had to exit the park and go into other places so i remember as a little boy going with my grandfather who his father, my great-grandfather, grew up in Cades Cove. Uh, He grew up going there, Um, and it was just a part of his life. It was before a national park, and he would take me, my grandfather, from the things that his grandfather before him showed him, and his father before him showed him. He would take me through the park and show me all kinds of things in Cades Cove that nobody really knows about, that aren't on the map, that the only reason you would know is if you'd grown up there. And we would go off in the woods and sometimes there wouldn't be a trail to know where we were going. I remember he would do things. We would walk through the woods and he would break a branch here. Or he would pick up sticks or logs and cross them in another place to leave signs so that as we walked through the woods and we made our way back, we would see, hey, this right here is the marker that we have left behind in order that it might guide us. Well, God is giving us signs as well everybody in this room i think pretty much raised their hands believing that god has given us signs to get our attention you know since the fourth day of creation stars have been understood as signs in the heavens you say okay brother matt i thought (laughs) this is a church we get into astrology here no just just hear me out here Um, since the fourth day of creation stars have been understood as signs in the heavens Um, a couple of things here first God created the stars to help govern the skies. I want you to look in Genesis chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. It will be on the screen. And it says, "...and let them be lights in the expanse or the firmament of the heavens to give light upon the earth." And it was so. "...and God made the two great lights," that would be the sun and the moon, "...the greater light to rule the day and the lesser night light to rule the night." and the stars and he set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness and god saw that it was good god created the sun the moon and the stars to govern the heavens but that's not the only reason that's not the only reason listen to what also the scripture says in verse 14 that god created the stars to serve as signs to his creatures. Listen to this in Genesis 1, 14. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for, what's the word? Signs and for seasons and for days and years. So three purposes, seasons, days and years. And then the third purpose, that first one mentioned is for Signs. Now you might be thinking, well, wait a second, it's probably just there referencing to indicate the day from the night. Well, do you know the same word used for signs there in Hebrew is used throughout the Old Testament to talk about exactly what you think it's talking about? Signs. The word signs in Genesis is used throughout the Old Testament. And let me give you a few of them. First, there are signs pointing to promises. Listen to this most beautiful sign in Genesis chapter 9, verses 12 through 13. And it says, And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I will make between me and you and every living creature with you for all future generations. By the way, he's talking to Noah. Somebody tell me before we read it, what's the sign he leaves? You remember? The rainbow. All right. So, This is the sign of the covenant that I will make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. So it's a sign that is pointing to a promise that God put the rainbow in the sky so that when people would see it and he would see it, You can see it both from heaven and earth, according to Genesis 9, that it would be a reminder of God's promise He made to the earth. Also, there are not just signs pointing to promises, there are signs pointing to confirmation of promises. Confirmation of promises. Look in Exodus chapter 3 and verse number 12. This is a most favorite verse of mine. This is Moses when he is being called at the burning bush to go back to Egypt, and he is told about a sign that he is going to receive from God that Moses is actually doing God's will. And this has always been an interesting one for me. He says, but I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you after I have sent you, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. I love this verse because here's Moses at the burning bush. God is calling him to go back to Egypt. And God says, okay, I'm going to give you a sign, Moses. After it's all said and done, you come back here. You're going to have the sign that, you know what? I really did send you. And I I think about that and I think, wait a second, signs are supposed to be on the front end, God. What do you mean that after I get back here and worship you at this mountain with these people, like that's not the sign I want. I want to know right now on the front end, is this what you want me to do? But God says, no, the sign is going to come on the back end that after it's all said and done, you'll be able to look at it and say, you know what? God really did do this. Signs pointing to the confirmation of promises. Also, there are just signs to get our attention. Signs to get her attention. Exodus chapter number four, verses eight through nine. This is still Moses at the burning bush. And same word. And if they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even those two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground ground. So what was that? That was a sign to get the attention of the Israelites in bondage as well as the Egyptians. So hopefully when you see this word sign, you see that in the Bible, God uses his creation to get our attention. And that's what signs serve there in our day. Road signs are there to grab your attention. It's assuming that you're going to be looking At the sky or at the horizon, and it's wanting to grab your attention in the moment. Uh, Of course, we have videos today. We watch television screens. We watch computer screens. There are all kinds of ads that are seeking to grab our attention. Well, God uses signs in His creation. According to the Bible, you cannot read the Bible and not recognize that God sends signs to get the attention of His people. So, with that said, though, too often we spend our time chasing after signs. Too often we spend our time chasing after signs. Now, just I, I realize I just said that God gives us signs. We, we see it in the text of Scripture. It is true, but too often we get paralyzed. In fact, when I talk to People, whether regardless of age, but especially young people, sometimes college age kids or just after college and they want to talk about what it looks like to pursue God's will for their life. Immediately, they, I, I'm just looking for a sign. I just need to know. And one of the things that I frequently share with college students is this, is that I've never been more than 80% sure on any decision I've ever made. Because if you're 100% sure, you're God. So don't wait for 100% assurance. You just need to have a really strong assurance that you think this is what seems right in the moment to the best of your ability. But too often we spend our time chasing after signs. Well, just like stars, signs, signs just like stars will rise. There are going to be times in your life that God is going to use a sign to get your attention. God is going to have a providential occurrence. God is going to speak through somebody else into your life. God may do something rather dramatic and speak to your heart, but there are going to be, just like stars, signs are going to appear in your life. But also, signs just like stars will fall. You know, and you know, it's very frustrating about stars. You can't see them every night. It's really only on the new moon with a clear sky when you can really get a good glimpse of the stars, but signs just like stars will rise and signs just like stars will fall. That's what's so tricky about if you're going to make every decision that you ever make based on signs You're going to live a very frustrated life because signs are going to rise and signs are going to fall. And sometimes signs just like stars even disappear. Maybe it's because of the moon. Maybe it's because you live in the city of Tupelo and you look up at night and because of the light pollution here in the city, it's hard to see the stars. But if you go out to a place like Ryanzi, I guarantee you, you'll be able to look up and see the stars. And I love Ryanzi, Dr. Thompson. But... Sometimes we cannot see the sky, and the signs are hidden. Also, sometimes God uses signs to teach us something about his promises. It's true, too often we spend our time chasing after signs, but sometimes God uses signs to teach us something about his promises. I gave you this verse earlier, and it's Exodus chapter 3 and verse 12. Sometimes signs don't appear when we want them to. We've already discussed this. Exodus 3, verse 12. But he said, I will be with you, and this will be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Wait a second. The sign's coming on the back end. I need it on the front end. You see, too often we spend our time chasing after signs. While I am a firm believer that God sends them, If you try to make every decision of your life based on them, you're going to live a frustrated life. Signs will rise. Signs will fall. Signs will just disappear. And signs sometimes God uses to teach us something about himself after the fact of when the sign was needed. But it brings me to this last principle that I want to look at tonight or this morning, which is this is that signs like stars may rise and fall, but we stand on God's promises. Signs like stars may rise and fall, but we stand on God's promises. Last week when we looked at the promise from Numbers chapter 4 of Balaam's oracle, Numbers chapter 24 rather, verse number 17, I'll just read it to you again. This is the first wise man of the east that we have in the text. His name was Balaam. And it said, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Well, that's a very old promise that one day a star is going to rise out of Israel. Have you asked yourself, when you look at this text there in Matthew 2, when it says these wise men who came from the east... Saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Have you ever thought about what this must mean? What this must mean if they saw his star rising? Well, first of all, it must mean that they were looking. But even more than that, there was something underneath the sign. And that was a promise. You see, signs are complicated. Signs are complicated. You know, here's a question. Is it wrong to ask God for a sign? You may be thinking about the temptation of Jesus and Jesus rebukes uh, the Satan about asking for signs. He also rebukes the Pharisees for demanding a sign. But you know what? There's stories in the scripture about people who ask for signs. I've asked for signs. I've prayed that God would give me a sign before. Asking for a sign for direction is good. There's a man by the name of Gideon in the text of scripture that was really wanting a sign from God, trying to discern what God's will was for his life. And in Judges chapter 6, verses 36 through 38, listen to what Gideon says. He gives this elaborate sign to God. He says, then Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. And if there is dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. And he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece. And he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Now, if you know the story, it wasn't enough for Gideon. he asked for a second sign. He said, OK, tomorrow I want the fleece to be dry and I want the ground to be wet. All right. He was just very, very insecure. He wanted a sign. But this was not to put God to the test. This was to discern God's will for the moment. You see, asking for a sign for direction is good. If your heart's desire is to truly follow God, there's nothing wrong with saying, God, will you give me a sign? Will you, will you point your way for me? One of the things that, about God's will, let me share with you just a couple of things, is this, is that God wants His will for your life more than you want His will for your life. I hope, don't forget what I just said. God wants His will for your life more than you want His will for your life. And also, Principle number two is not on your outline, This is just free of charge, is that God is more committed to you finding his will for your life than you or I will ever be committed to finding his will for your life and my life, those things. You see, asking a sign for direction is good, but demanding a sign for belief, oh, that's, that's bad, that's found in scripture. Um... Demanding a sign for belief is bad. This is not asking for direction. This is apt asking from a place of skepticism. Mark chapter 8, verses 11 through 12, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. This was not a sign for help. This was a sign to put him to the test. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Signs are complicated. Asking for a sign for direction is good. Demanding a sign for belief is bad. And also, even when you get them, you're like Gideon, discerning them can be difficult. When the wise men saw the star rise in the east, they did not know that that meant that there was a baby-born Jesus in Bethlehem and He had been born in a manger and the shepherds came to work. They didn't know all that. They just knew that there was a promise which had been given. You see, discerning signs can be difficult, which brings us to the next two things and we'll close with a brief illustration here: is God's promises are straightforward. As opposed to signs, signs rise and signs fall. But God's promises are straightforward. Signs can be so difficult to understand at times. Is this what this means? Are you really getting my attention for this, God? Is this really what you want? It can get complicated. God's promises are straightforward. Listen to Joshua chapter 21, verse 45. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Oh, I love that. You may have difficulty discerning the signs from the heavens. You may have difficulty discerning God's will for your life, but not one promise God has made to you is going to fail. Not one God promise God has made to me is going to fail. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and verse 20. It says, for all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for his glory, God's promises—they are not dependent upon your understanding. They are steady in the heavens, steadfast always, and they will not fail. So, what brings me to this is you build your life on the constant and consistent promises of God. Listen to your pastor. Listen to your friend today. I'm not telling you don't look for signs. I'm not saying don't pray for signs. That's good. People in the Bible did that. But you don't build your life around signs. You build your life around promises. Why were the wise men searching the skies at night? Because a promise had been uttered back in Numbers 24, 17, that one day a star would rise out of Israel. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23 says this, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Uh, Devin, are you, you here in this room at this moment? If you'd come at this time, are you, is he here? Oh, you're back there, my brother. This is Devin Leckie. Uh, Devin is a faithful member here, First Baptist Church of Tupelo. And I uh, found out Devin has some serious skill. How many of you all know what this is? A Rubik's Cube. Now, how many of you all, if solving this were conditional on going to heaven, wouldn't make it? I think pretty much a lot of us. Okay. But anyway, I have several Rubik's Cubes here. Um, First of all, I have no idea how to work these, okay? The reason this one is solved is because Devin solved this for me on Tuesday. And it's been in my truck all week long. And my daughter picked it up, Lucy, in the back seat this week and started playing. I was like, no, don't touch it. Don't touch it because I can't fix it if it breaks. Okay. But I have several Rubik's Cubes here. Um, one is it's all mixed up. One is another one right here that has one side solved. I believe there are going to be some images on the screen here to show you the difference between these. And then one, this is what you're actually trying to achieve. Here are the different Rubik's cubes. This is what we're trying to achieve. Now, Devin, I'm going to hand this one to you that is unsolved, and I'll let you just go ahead and start working on it there. But I'm going to ask you some questions as you're working on it. It seems as when I work on this thing, um, I can't get anywhere. Because no matter what I move around, it changes something else. And when I try to line things up, or would you rather start with this one? (laughs) Uh, When I try to line things up, it just messes up. Um, What is the core principle of solving the Rubik's Cube? So this is a three by three, Uh and what that means is the center piece on each side will never move. It can rotate, but it will remain constant the entire time, and so you can base any algorithm off of that side. This side will always be blue, no matter what, even if all the other colors are not that same color. So what what you're telling me is when I'm holding a Rubik's Cube, that one right there in the middle on each side, that is the color of that side. So that right there, let's just start with orange, but, (laughs) but um, let's just start with orange right there. This is the orange side, correct? Correct. Okay. So if I turn it over here to blue, this is the blue side, even though all of these colors around it have other colors, it it doesn't matter. This is the core. So if... What you're telling me is if I try to solve this by chasing all of these colors on the perimeter of each side, that I'm hopelessly lost. Correct. And the only way to solve this is no matter how complicated or simple it becomes, I have to keep building this solving around the constant core, correct? Yes, sir. Because this core, no matter how much I move it, will not change. Friends, the reason I asked Devin to share this, and by the way, if Devin had time, he could quickly solve this. I watched him just do it just very quickly this week, is our life is like this. There will always be signs, all kinds of colors, all kinds of things and opportunities all around us. But if you spend your life chasing them, life is going to be very complicated. Because remember, you're never going to be more than 80% sure about anything. However, if you build your life not around signs, but around God's promises, building your life around what is true, regardless of where you are, what you're doing, how much money you have, how little money you have, whether you're married, whether you're single, what doesn't, you build your life on God's promises. Yes, looked at the signs over time. God may use a sign to get your attention, but your life is not defined by signs. The wise men showed up because they were resting on a promise. The signs, Will take care of themselves. Devin, thank you so much. I'll let you keep solving that, and by the end of the service, you'll be done. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, when it comes to your will, we complicate things so very much. Lord, I pray today that we would think of the wise men. Lord, that we would be reminded that we're not called to build our life around signs. We're called to build our life around your promises. And if we do that in your good time, what we need to know will appear. Lord, I pray for my friends here today those who are even now asking you, God, what is your will for my life? Lord, it starts with an embrace of you and your promises. Lord, thank you for the consistency of your word. Thank you for your faithfulness to lead us in the way we should go. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen.